I'm André Villas Boas, listening to Echoes of Glory. And don't forget, whatever happens, the future is bright, future is lily white. Come on, you Spurs. Hello and welcome to Echoes of Glory, Season 10, Episode 33. I'm Jack. I'm AST. I'm Chris. Oh, how no. disappointing no, was no, it? No, no, no. Oh. I feel so... <laughs> Oh. energized now i've got so much more energy i feel so relaxed like it's sort of all over that that bad bit is gone you know it's gone we're, we're just back to tottenham now i'm oh. loving it oh it's stressed i'm just stressed now i don't mind like we lost the cup final it is what it is they're better than us but that for me seeing sunny at the end there oh, on his haunches weeping oh, it just don't. made it that was like a metaphor for what the state of the team is yeah yeah, 100%. And that's the thing that stressed me out. It's like, where are they going to go from from here? All of those players that we've loved for so long. That's what worried me. Well, especially, there's rumours in Germany, German publications now, that are saying um, Nagelsmann's gone. Build. Build. Yeah. Him. So, Francio Romano's tweeted it and he doesn't ever get anything wrong, does he? So, yeah, I've, I've um, actually, well, you know, I'm, I'm sure we're going to come to that later. So I've, I've got mm-hmm. my number two choice ready to talk oh, about mm-hmm. because right. because I don't think I could talk about Nagelsmann again. A, I've said it a hundred times before, but B, I think he's gone. So yeah, can I, uh, well, before we start, mate, can I just, just to start on a positive, me, uh, I took my daughter for her third ever swimming lesson. So she's four years How old beautiful. Right, right, okay. for this one. And um, loves she's loving it. And she had the goggles right where the uh, the band around the back of her head was underneath her head. So she she had the they, they were all she was all over the place. So she's she was struggling right. But then she swam the length of the thing and looked at me and I went like yes like fist pump. And she immediately saw that and went come on you Spurs. <laughs> yes. Because whenever I'm watching Spurs. Oh, that poor girl. <laughs> She's got a lot of agony yeah. now. Do you know what she did the other day? She went... Um, that sounds like excellent parenting to me, ASD. Yeah, but she supports England rather than Wales because that's where she's from not, and she knows where I'm from. That's fine. And the other day, like one of her nursery uh, carers what, said, uh, bottle of water. So Zoe said uh, to us, like, can I have a bottle of water? And we said, we, we say bottle of water, Zoe. And she went, <laughs> I don't. I say it like that because I'm from Stevenage. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Amazing. Stevenage as well. Anyway, oh, so um, I remember just quickly, um, Esty, the last time that I saw Zoe when we were when I was leaving. Do you remember she was to the top of the stairs and like a full-on adult went, "See you later." You remember? <laughs> it's so good. <laughs> So good. Um, we've got a couple of games to talk about. We're sort of going to skim over the Southampton one because that feels like ages ago already. Um, but a great fight back in that game. One down at half time and Bale, lovely goal. Like when I, uh, you know, I, I didn't watch the game, but I had the commentary on and at half time I was like, oh, one nil down, you know where this is going. But that was great that we came back in uh, and took three points there. Um, I don't know about you two, that gave me a little bit more belief going into the cup final. I know it was only Southampton, but I was like, oh, to, you know, be 1-0 down at half-time, come back and get the win, bail to score. It's like, oh, maybe, you never know. Um, and then a cup final. So let's talk about it. So, Chris, I'd, I'd love to hear from you about what it was like. You know, you, you had a ticket, you were there. Um, what was the overall experience as a fan for this cup final like? Well, I mean, it was weird. Oh, there's an echo. Can you hear an echo as well? Your speaker's turned up loud so we can hear your, so it comes through your mic. 
No, uh, maybe I just spoke loudly because I was excited. Anyway, I can't hear an echo anymore, so that's fine. So I think it was already weird because there were so few people there. And I drove to Wembley, which I would never ordinarily do, but you could get a parking ticket because there were so few people there. Um, and that was relatively straightforward. Um, it was really, it was lovely to go down Wembley Way, although, of course, it's all changed now. Um, huh? So there are stairs up. You see, so you don't you're not going round it anymore so the the ramp oh. like the, the the first layer of the ramp is gone there really? are i think 48 stairs it said because it said it in the email beforehand um so it was really it was great being in Wembley way even though there weren't millions of people there there were funnily enough we spotted a couple like a couple of people in liverpool shirts and the people i was with were like what are they mm. doing yeah. i said yeah but if you if you've invited um, local residents and NHS staff. Mm. You're going to get people who want who are coming for a football experience and are putting their club colours on, which I thought I, I didn't mind that. To be fair, I thought it was all right. What was funny though was that I went to meet my friend Joe, and she said, "Oh, I've, she's a and she's a football agent, and she used to produce 606." So she said, "Oh, I, my my her other friend was producing the Talksport Sunday session." Mm. So they said, "I'll come up to the box park." we'll go there and we'll have a we'll have a drink there and anyway, I got there and uh, the lovely Sarah shout out to the lovely Sarah who was producing as soon as I got there she said you're on in 20 minutes is that all right I was like oh uh okay <laughs> brilliant but actually it was quite fun and it was Perry Groves and Andy Cole with um Addy Oladipo and I know Addy quite well um and of course Perry Groves like just couldn't bear it couldn't bear that we were in the final mm. He said he was offered a ticket, but there's no way he was going to go. And, and the main reason he said there was no way he was going to go is like, if you lot win, I cannot be in that stadium to watch mm. it. And actually, I've got to give him respect for that because you can yeah. see he, he feels it acutely and it's not put on, actually. So that was good doing that. And that was really nice because you saw that sort of it built up a bit. And I went in probably about an hour before and there were loads of people. There were cameras everywhere, you know. I thought I saw someone the next day. I saw I saw four people being interviewed and I ju- I saw them the next day on the on BBC website yeah. and you know so that was quite sort of fun. Um and then standing in the queue loads of singing and every like the other great thing about the cameras is of course when there's a camera like everyone just starts going ah come yeah. on. <laughs> so like you know jumping up and down on Wembley way singing you know Spurs are on their way to Wembley which was brilliant. And then going in and and I sat in my seat and it was really hot because it was in big sunshine. I sat in my seat, which was 32 rows up, and I was on my own, sadly. And I think, as I mentioned to you, I took my uh, friends on my T-shirt, which worked love really that. well, actually. Yeah, I love well. that. Um, Perry Groves tried to sl- like tried to um, sledge me for it, but uh, he didn't get away with it. Um, mm. I- and I sat in my seat about 32 rows up, but I thought, do you know what? I want to get a bit closer. And because I was on my own, I-, I was all right to do mm. that. So I went down and I ended up sitting in the fourth row which was good and I quite like that perspective I quite like that perspective for that and I was just by the corner flag and you know what it's like when you're actually watching you know when you're not watching on telly it goes so quickly mm. and you get a diff- completely different perspective on the game um I think we were probably quite we felt like we were noisy um but you could never hear what's going on on the other end of the mm-hmm. at the other end of the pitch so I don't know I thought we were much noisier with them and, until they scored is that was that right yeah, uh, you know what? It it felt watching it on the telly. It it was strange hearing actual crowd noise, mm. like it almost like it didn't feel real. I know that doesn't make sense because we're so used to for the last year it being the fake crowd noise. It was like what? And it's like oh no, there are fans there. 
Um, no, there, there was uh, from from what I could hear, there was definitely a bit of atmosphere there, which you know. Yeah, was and th- there was, and I think so. I heard someone say today, and I think this is probably the other thing is that there were responses to referees' decisions because, of course, the fake noise doesn't do that. It's mm-hmm. only around, you know, so that kind of sort of cut and thrust of it, if you like, and just that collective intake of breath and and all yeah. that kind of stuff. So that you know that was great, and to, to be honest, I genuinely thought when it got to like eighty minutes. And they'd like been battering the door down that long. I thought we might nick this, you know, or we might take it to penalties and 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 score in extra time, or you know, or, or win on penalties or whatever. But I don't know. It wasn't to be. It was great being back, apart from the small matter matter of the football. But you know, it's what we've all been dreaming about for more than a year. Um. So yeah, as I say, even though I was I was on my own, I had my friends on my t-shirt. And I met Joe and her brother beforehand, and that's what it's all about. And and we were excited and anxious together. And there was a crackle in the air, and there was an atmosphere. Um, and you know, I and I, I happily kept my mask on. I didn't mind that. I thought what was funny though is the stewards, bless them, were going around saying, "Can you put your mask on?" And here we are, grown men who would put their mask on, and then as soon as the steward turned his back, yeah. <laughs> and I'm like could be watching my 11 year old nephew really <laughs> although he might be more compliant yeah so i'll tell you what as well it felt good to feel positive because even though like we weren't we we you know they were they did look better than us we you know we did grow into the game as as it went on and city didn't score i thought we might nick it it wasn't to be but it felt good to be positive i did wonder that wonder though and this is you know I was talking to a friend of mine who's a Man United fan just earlier about whether they were fit enough. And apparently, you know, like a Manchester United, he got rid of their conditioning room and put in a massage room that he oversaw himself. Mm. So like that whole fitness thing, I think they're going to need to kind of get themselves back there. But, you know, Ryan Mason, I don't know if you saw this, but he, he was asked about his philosophy and he said, I don't think I've got one, but... Mm. The most important thing is to have an idea and a structure and the players know what's expected of them and also give them the freedom to act instinctively what they feel on the pitch. So if I have got a philosophy, that's probably it in two sentences. Mm. So I'm up for that. I'm all for that. And if he can do that if he, when he goes back to the under-23s or whatever and those are the players that we have going into our first team, I'm up for it. And let's see, let's see, five games, you know, let's win all five of them and see where we end up. Why not? Yeah, I thought that, you know, to talk about the game a little bit, I thought that we approached it the only way you can approach it against Man City, which is be defensive, try and play on the break, basically try and spoil the game for at least an hour. If you go toe-to-toe with Man City, you it, you know, you're going to get pulled apart 3-4-0 at least. And I know that they missed a lot of chances in the first half, but he said it, didn't he, in his um, interview after the game, he said, we knew we would have to ride our luck against them. And it's like, whenever you play City, whenever we've had success against them in the last seven, eight years, there's been games where we've won, but we've massively ridden our luck. So I thought we approached it the only way we possibly could. Um, I was a little bit surprised that Undenbele didn't play. Um, That was the one for me that was a little bit like, oh, I had to almost reread it. Um, A little bit surprised that Winks played just because he hasn't had that much football. Um, but other than that, you know, the team the team was pretty much what most people would have. But you might have had Bale win ahead of Lucas, but you know that's you know uh, neither really here or there for me. So I, I thought that the way he set us up, the way we played, 
was okay. I thought we defended pretty well. Like City are always going to create chances against you. Like that's always going to happen. But I thought we defended pretty well. I thought Hugo, Dyer, and Alderweireld were outstanding. Uh, mm-hmm. Really, just reducing the amount of chances they got through the middle of the pitch. Um, Regulon and Aurier were were particularly poor. Um, but you know, as today's gone on, like when I was watching the game yesterday, I was slating both of them. But as today's gone on, I've been able to reflect on it a little bit. Yes, they were poor. They're also up against Sterling and Mares, who, who are going to give most fullbacks a difficult game. Um, but I just don't think that they helped themselves with some of the decision making. Some of Aurier's play with the ball and some of Regulon's tackling was ju- it left a lot to be questioned. But anyway, I thought the two centre-halves and Hugo were brilliant. Like Hugo made three or four brilliant saves. Dyer made a, cu- a couple of blocks. Toby made a couple of blocks like... So I've, uh, no complaints really with them. I thought we played out from the back a lot more. And I know sort of like it probably gave us all a little bit more anxiety watching it. But like, I, I would rather see that. But I thought Alderweireld was brilliant. I think that's the best he's probably played for 12 months. I thought he had a really, really good game. Um, the midfield is clear that, you know, I mean, Mason's only had a couple of games and barely a week in charge. But he's not quite sure what the best midfield is. Jose wasn't. Potch wasn't quite sure. Like they've all struggled to find balance in the midfield. I thought Harry Winks, who's been getting pelters on Twitter, I thought he played all right, if I'm totally honest. I thought that he, when you've got Harry Winks in the team, you're not going to get amazing 70-yard diagonal balls. You're not going to get someone that travels with the ball. You're going to get somebody that ticks it over and you're going to get 10, 15-yard passes, keep the ball. And against City, you're not going to have much of it. So when you've got the ball... You either have to be so direct and try and score, or you've got to try and take the pace out of the game. And like looking at it with Lacelso and Winks, I think he, Mason's approach was: when we've got it, I want players that can keep it. Because if we just keep giving the ball back to them over and over and over, it's inevitable that they're going to score. So like, I thought Winks did quite well. Hoiberg, I, I, again, I thought he did quite well. You've got to bear in mind the calibre of players we're up against. Like they're some of the best midfielders in the world, and I, I do think people forget that that. Uh, just expect that Winks and Hoybjerg, who haven't played that much together all season, can just dominate De Bruyne and Fernandinho. And it's like, it just doesn't work like that. I thought from a defensive point of view, we were we did pretty well. But it was the front players that I was disappointed with. Um, and I know that we didn't service them that much, but we had a couple of moments. And again, Mason spoke about this. The most memorable m- moment of the game was the Hoybjerg chance when he mm. tries to play it to Reggie. That's at nil-nil after about an hour. Um, but I agree with what you said, Chris. We definitely grew into the game. And like at 70, 75 minutes, I was sat there thinking it's now a 20 minute game of football. And it's like it's now it's just a mistake or it's a penalty or it's a set play, which it did end up being. But that that could have gone either way at that point. Um, it would have been absolute daylight robbery if we had have won that game. Like, you know, if if we play that game again against City, they could beat us 4 5 nil with the amount of chances they created. But Part of playing them is riding your luck. So, look, I didn't have too much criticisms up until the point of their goal. As soon as they scored, like you, we were just done, and I and I couldn't I couldn't grasp it because it was like it was one nil. There's ten minutes to go. It's a cup final. Like, come on! And you could just tell that as soon as that Laporte goal went in, the they life was just completely there. sucked out of all the players, and um, it, which was a shame. It could have gone either way, but then we've got Aurier. Um, yeah. it's the thing, and he's like, got that in him every game. I try not to get too wound up about Aurier now, but <laughs> whenever whenever you watch him, he can be brilliant for 89 minutes. But he's going to have a moment like that, like he is. 
and it's like he didn't have a great game anyway but like it just doesn't surprise me it's just such brain dead defending like I coach year ones on a Saturday morning and if they did that I'd have a go at them for it and they'd learn actually no I don't need to make the tackle there um I mean the marking on the set play left a lot to be desired as well which is just you know where it's like they're sort of half doing zonal half marking it's like you've got to do one or the other um so look I was disappointed but I didn't have any optimism going into the game. If I'm t- like, I, f- I, I went into it thinking we're going to lose probably by at least two goals. So I, I wasn't that gutted just because I didn't really have any expectation going into it. Um, so it's a massive shame. City. Yeah, there were players who played bad, but City maybe the best team in the world. Is it, They're in a semi-final with PSG. The winner of that is probably going to win because they can both beat Chelsea or Real Madrid. This is... One of the best teams in the world. I've four league cups in a row. In a row, right? And I, what I've done brilliantly is, oh, that's the quiz. Is, is, it, is I, it your modesty? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, you sound like Mrs. Estina. I'm so it, brilliant that I've done something. I'm great. amazing. And what I've done is I've pulled how much each play, how much the squad was worth. So how much each player was bought, and then how much it's worth now according to transfer market. Now, obviously, it's it's. You know, people can uh, have an opinion on transfer market, but I've heard agents use it to, to start valuing their own players. So, like, if we have a look at their players, like, they're, they're, the squad they bought for 472 million and is worth 508 now, our squad was bought for 176 million mm-hmm. and is worth now 369 million. And that the point there is not just how much more they spent, because what they can do is they can go in, drop in, and buy the players they need. Remember when. They, they identified they needed right backs and they just went and bought Walker for 50 million and another one for 50 million. And they so they did. Four backs, didn't they? They, they bought, bought four full backs in a window. They yeah. And they just go, right then, we just you just have a look at it. You go. But you forget, didn't you, about the, you know, he, he went and bought Claudio Bravo for 30 odd million, the keeper. And then after six months, was like, no. And then they bought Edison the next summer. It's like they've got the luxury of doing That's that. Whereas it. like, if we make a bad signing, we're stuck with them for four years. Well, they were just under half a billion and two of their players were youth players who were free but so Stefan and Foden Foden by the way what an unbelievable talent he is he's scary good but you just go Walker 50 mil Ruben Diaz 61 Laporte Cancelo just under 60 De Bruyne 70 million Sterling 60 Mares 60 we've not paid anywhere near that you compare it to ours and you go Lloris 11 Oreo was 22 and he was you know and you go Dyer, four and a half, Alderweireld, 15, Hoiberg, 15. How much Celsius. did Deli Ali cost? <laughs> Deli was 5.9. He came on later. But and the other point is, is their squad has gone up by only 8%, which means they've bought players at, at, at peaking. At peak, yeah, yeah. At their most expensive. Ours, we're having a bad season and the, the value of that squad is doubled, right? And part of that is just Kane, who was free and is now worth £108 million. Mm-hmm. But you just go like they're a completely different team to us. And Giles raised it, and it's annoying me because I was thinking it as well. But um, he, he, the the comment from Mason about we're four or five years away from City, and we're not because we're not going to be where they are in four and a half years. We have to be bought by someone, and not just give the same wealth as City, give you know, twice as much wealth as the next best thing in order to be able to afford those players and those wages more than someone like City and then have a world-class modern manager who had been there for four years. We're not there. 
We're on a completely different path. Yeah. And what is interesting is I can't even believe it's a week since the whole since last week. You know, mm. everything we were talking about this time last week. I, it, I can't believe it. It was my favorite pod ever. But you go, there's been a lot of people who were like Enoch out, Levy out. And you go, that for me is crazy because we've gone from a place where we are mid table. We were a mid table like we were a mid, we're a bit like a West Ham now. And admittedly, they're in the Champions League places, but they're a mid-table team. And we've gone to a place where, our, where it's incredibly disappointing if we're not in the top four, where we're invited to be in the, the European Super League. All of this stuff, that's successful from a business point of view. And without that success, there's no way we're going to get on the pitch. Success. Now, what I do think is that what uh, that Levy made a massive mistake in rather than refreshing the team, and paying the money that it would cost to bring in those players, he instead refreshed the manager, which I think was a cheaper option, and yeah. tried to strangle the value out of whatever that squad as best he could. And it was almost, I almost feel for Mourinho in that it was a very, very, very difficult job, but his ego, his special one, his history, has suggested that he would be the one to do that, and he hasn't. I think Guardiola could do a bit more with the team than Mourinho did, but I think it would be a, a more difficult thing for any manager than any other team in the world because it needs a complete refresh. And the point is, that's just the position of the two teams. We're in seventh in the Premier League. They're in. They're about to. They could do the treble this season, a very good treble, and that that's okay. I that's think okay. what you were, what you were saying there, mate, about um, Mason's comments. We're four or five years away from City. I think that. Yeah, I, completely, I, I agree with what you're saying there, but it's sort of like you can... The biggest question mark for Spurs in the last 20 years has been recruitment. And the players that we've... We've, we, we've never gone out and bought well. And like, we never... It I always seems... Well, it seems like we go out and we'll spend a huge sum of money on a player, like Undembele, for example. I don't want to dig him out too much, but it's like, how often do we go and break our transfer record and the player doesn't work or it takes them ages to settle? And it's like, I always feel like I look around at other sides, they go and buy someone and they can just hit the ground running straight away. And the thing about City being miles ahead of us, yeah, of, of course they are. But if you do get the right players in and you have the right coach and you have like a togetherness, we proved it in 16-17 with a squad of players that, you know, got 86 points in the league or whatever and finished second or wherever it was that year. But you don't have to spend crazy amounts of money to get a good side. Um, but that can only sort of, maintain itself for so long and it's like and that's the problem if we look back at that side in 1617 six or seven of those players probably still start for us now and it's like that's what the big issue has been that we just haven't been able to refresh it um that i i genuinely think if pep goes on and wins the league and the champions league this year like that's his greatest achievement in football to have to, to come to england i know he spent a lot of money but mm-hmm. to come to England and do that, like he has dominated everywhere he's gone. I know he's managed top sides, but he has dominated everywhere he's gone. It's like it's phenomenal what he's doing at City. Like their brand of football is incredible. I mean, imagine what it must be like being a City fan. You just must be pinching yourself every day. Surely you've just gone from nowhere to all of a sudden you've got arguably the greatest manager ever in the history of the sport. You're playing a brand of football every week that's incredible. You could win the treble. You've seen Premier League titles. You've seen four League Cups in a row. Like it, They must just be absolutely loving it. There's a bit of me, though. I'll come back to your transfer point because I don't agree. That's a bit like, we haven't earned this. 
we're just being used as in a franchise model and we're being used for sport washing our cat the cash of a of a of a dirty regime that 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 would hurt me if i haven't to spurs then that's as bad as the esl for me i'd rather be in league one and representing what we represent rather than just being used for a badge and opposition in the premier league and i get your point on like they've they had their noisy neighbours for so long and now they're dominating and from a pure footballing point of view if you're a fan in the ground and you were there for aguero and everything that's come since amazing but you go when mansur leaves what what do we sell our soul for you know and they, that kills me the recruitment I, I just disagree with because i think apart from city and leicester who recruit well and southampton who recruit well everyone has has like a success rate of one in three one in four look at arsenal pepe was 70 million william they hate him now and you go even um abamyang is has been awful this season like who's been great they've had uh what their fullback from scotland whatever his name is he's he's been really really good but all their their hope is on is in their youth team they haven't been doing it united haven't been doing it fernandez has been great but they've got loads of duds by this has just um signed the contract united what is that about but i the crazy wages plus transfer fees now let's not forget how much neymar cost like the top bracket is so far up here that you have to go for 15, 20, 25 mil players now. Because the buy thing at United is probably like, oh, if we sell him, we might get 15 mil for him. Then we've got to probably go and spend 35, 40 mil to get a player that's probably about the same level as him. It's like, is it worth doing? They've got, they have buy in Lindelof. So, I mean, a dreadful sentence, but that Lindelof was about 40 odd million, wasn't he? The, the, the market's just absolutely, bon- absolutely bonkers now. But the recruitment point, I don't know. I just, I would you be confident that we could go and spend 100, 150 million? Not we've got it. I just wouldn't. Like, if well, you know, if, if Levy come out and said, right, this summer I'm giving you a war chest, I'd be thinking, oh God, what? We're going to end up going and buying just average with that. Well, we've got, we spent 100 million last time. So, you know, 30 on Lo Celso, just under 30 on Reggie, 15 on Matt Doherty, who has not been a success, 15 on Hoiberg, who has been a success. I'd say those three have performed really well. Roden mm-hmm. for 11, looks great. Vinicius is on loan, done well. And then Joe Hart, Bale on a on a, on a a freeze. I Like, that's 100 million that, that's done all right. The problem is that should be, have done, have been done the last three seasons. Mm-hmm. And we wouldn't have so much pressure on a few individuals. It would be spread on the squad and we don't have a squad. Mm-hmm. That, 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 also, um, I think this new, with whoever's next, there is talk of going back to a different kind of scouting and recruitment model. Because I think we haven't had this, we haven't had like that that scouting model in the same way and it obviously hasn't worked. Mm-hmm. And so I'm hope you know, it looks like, it looks like the, the Daniel Levy is saying, actually, we need to go back to this to ensure that we do get the best players and we've got a good infrastructure to scout as well as developing our own teams. It's like he got a Christmas bonus and he went out and he's had a little bit of fun and now he's hung over. He's realised his mates don't really like him and he's gone, right, I have to go back to working hard now. And that, that's fine. And I, I honestly think it's going to be a bit of a purge, a bit, it's going to be a bit of a fresh. I think we'll have a, a tough few seasons now where things have to change. But that's that's who we are as a club. Like, it's just trying our best well, we, well, we're hopefully not a, some, hopefully some of the young lads mainly Skip and Sessignon that have had Sessignon, really good yeah. loan spells well, you'd think like you'd, <laughs> I, I personally 
I personally would much rather see those two come back in and be given a shot next season than go and spend 40 million on a player. Like, give them a go, and it's like, if they're not good enough, fine, but like, let's. Otherwise, what's the point of having a youth set up and bring, like, there's no point, you might as well do away with it. So, Skip for me isn't surely an absolute no brainer to give him an opportunity next season because you don't go, I know he's been playing in the championship and it's the league below, but from what you read and what you hear, like it sounds like he's been incredible. And we've been saying for ages how we're still lacking a bit of balance in midfield. And it's like, I'm not saying he's going to be the best player, you know, that's ever played for Spurs, but sometimes a player can come in that maybe individually is not incredible, but can just bring balance to a whole team. Like, look at Man United with Bruno Fernandes. Yes, he's an amazing individual, but he has completely transformed that side. And I'm not saying Skip's going to come in and do it, but he could. Like, you don't know, do you, that it doesn't always have to be an absolute world-beater that can change a team. And I just think him and Sessegnon, they've played a lot of games, they've done well. Like, let's give them an opportunity next season, rather than going out and spending 40, 50 million quid on a, you know, a winger from Spain or Italy or something. Like, we've got Sessegnon there. Like, let, let's try it. Like, let's go down that route. And I think that as a club, we probably will. And that probably brings me on to the question I was going to ask you both about, like, where do you want us to go next? Like, we talk about Nagelsmann. He, he looks like he's gone. So, like, what, what, what direction do we go down now? Like, what do you want to see happen next? Well, my, sec- I, my next choice was always, or he was my first choice, and then I thought, oh, he'll go to Bayern Munich, which is why I then focused on Nagelsmann. But I think it's got to be Eric Ten Hag mm-hmm. from Ajax, because I just think, you know, we, we saw them when we played them, and sometimes they look like they're sort of playing a completely different sport. Because yeah. they like they run teams ragged and they've got poise on the ball and and all of those things and so actually that's what I that's what I'd want to see I suppose my concern is is that you know one will Overmars put him off tell him don't go there um but and also whether we we're going to be looking as as if we're ambitious enough but I do think we can we can sell the club you know. A good jo- doing a good job, we can sell the club to him, um, mm. and and with but with also with that director of football because I saw a piece earlier that's saying there was someone with like someone Rangnick Rangnick or something, but I don't know who that is. Um, but yeah, look him up. Well, um, I feel like then, that's the caliber of manager we can probably get, Chris. Now, like I don't think we can get the elite ones now because I think we've dropped back the last couple of years. But someone like him from Ajax, like that's definitely a step up. Is he not an elite one though? I mean, you know. He's kind of the next, him and Nagelsmann, on my understanding, they're the next big things. Mm-hmm. And so and I'd rather see him. Someone else was talking about Marcelino, um, and I didn't know much about him. He's the athletic Bilbao guy. Um, I didn't like the look of him, though. You know, he's a man with a plan, but he also seems a bit more, you know, he's obsessed by player weight and physical conditioning. And he likes to be ultra fit, which is, of course, which is good. But he's like obsessive, and it's about long term management. And I don't think we're, I don't think that we could go with like long-term management in that sense now. So it's Ten Hag for me. I'd love to see him there. I think it's a good style of football. I think it's the right kind of, he's got the right kind of style and and sort of panache that I think that we kind of need as well. Um, Someone else I saw, but I was looking at some uh, odds and there was talk of uh, Gareth Southgate and I suggested that in the Proud Lily White's WhatsApp and everyone went mental. Really? Yeah, they weren't having it. I think what it is for me, it's like I just want a type of manager that's coming in now that's got an identity and a style. 
So it's like I know what I'm getting. And I thought I was getting that with Jose, if I'm totally honest. Like I thought I knew what everybody sort of would know how to describe a Jose team. And I thought we would get that with him, but, but we haven't. So for me, it's just somebody that can bring their own sort of stamp to it. Um, I saw Bielsa's name being thrown around a little mm. bit on Twitter as well earlier. And it was sort of like, that would be a really interesting one. And again, a, a, another manager that's sort of obsessive with the physicality of, of players, but at least he's got an identity. I mean, it's, it's a bit all guns know, but at least it's an identity. With, the thing for me with him is, is we've had the pupil. Why would we want the teacher? Like we've, mm-hmm. we've had the, the modern version of him. I'd, why do you want, the, I wouldn't want to go back yeah. to the old school version. I despise that bucket as well like I would really hate seeing that like aesthetically I'm being serious <laughs> I just I this is the, the the leader of our club and he sits on a branded bucket no who do you want SD what what names are at the top for you I, I've always liked Ten Hag I'm, I, you know I've got a soft spot for Ajax it's difficult I just there's a bit of me which is rather than a name I just what the brief for them is I want them to come in and just give us some exactly like saying an identity now and some form of pragmatism like we're we're going to approach and adapt and bring the youth through I want Pochettino (laughs) that's what I want I want what we had there's Scott Parker and Graham Potter's name are being thrown around where does that sit with you no. Yeah, it, yeah, exactly. It's like I get it. It, it. This is a massive. You said it last week, I think, really well. Like this is the most important manager signing in our in our history in our recent history, and it's it's a massive sign of intent. And the what I'd love deep down is for this to be an appointment, a bit like Pochettino was. We're going to back you. We're going to make the right choice, and we're just going to back you. You have to show us why you're the right person for Spurs. But we're going to back you, and we, you're going to lead our club. So, who knows? Who knows? I, I think you're right. There's an intent point, but it's also like for me, it's like, what are we going out there and telling the world about who? Well, it is intent. That's, what are we the telling the world about exactly that? Who about who we are? Right? Graham Potter rocks up. You're not saying we want to dominate Europe and we want to play stylish football in the Champions League every week with a modern European manager with a with a I hate to use the word philosophy but with an idea and a plan about who this football club are no disrespect to Graham Potter no, but it's a bit like when Allardyce got the England job you went it culturally it just doesn't sit right for me exactly it, it, it's just wrong I no well yeah disrespect to the man it, it's just not right that England stand for more than that and I know we've talked about what Spurs stand for a lot in the last few weeks but we've had to examine it we're not even going to talk about the new Champions League format, which is a disgrace, and it, that that's aside. But you, modern football is it's got is it's become so productized that we have to really examine what we stand for, or we sell our soul. And if we sell our soul, then go out and pay for the best manager or whatever. But I think we that's not what we want, and what we want is great football, right? We want to see some really good football because we haven't had it because we haven't had an attacking plan. It's been a year since we saw great attacking football. Man United aside. Well, and the Southampton game, but that was two players who just discovered this formula, which got blocked pretty quickly afterwards. Yeah. I just Tottenham represents a lot of a, a lot of things to a lot of people, and we haven't seen that, and we've been let down recently. And I just want the feeling I got from hearing Ryan Mason is one of our own. I want that feeling in the manager, progressive, 
pra mm. pragmatic backed you know the challenge the challenge is is that you look around at the odds and the managers that are out there and I'm looking at that list and I'm not really very inspired by many of them. And that's what makes me nervous at the minute, that normally a manager goes and there's a plan and it's sort of like it's very logical, oh, that guy's going to come in. Or you look at the odds and the bookies very rarely get this stuff wrong. And like whoever's favourite or second favourite is pretty much going to be a manager. And I look at that list and I just think, oh, I don't, I don't, I'm just not very inspired by it because there's not that many managers out there, really. That's what is worrying me at the moment is that, you know, we need a really, really important big appointment for me to this, for this next manager to work. It's going to have to be somebody that's like a potch, that is a surprise that just comes in because some of those names don't fill me with a huge amount of optimism. Like if we appointed Scott Parker, don't get me wrong. I love the guy. I'd get behind him. Brilliant. Like, let's give it a go. But I wouldn't be expecting a great deal. But then that was the same when potch came in. Like, you know, we knew a bit about him from Southampton and you were like, he seems like a nice guy, but I don't expect him to do an unbelievable job. So maybe it could yeah. go that way again. I'm not sure. He felt, for me, I think a better comparison would be Tim Sherwood, where you go, you sort of know what you're getting, former player, all of that. Whereas obviously, we hate Tim Sherwood. I'm not saying Sherwood. <laughs> With Pochettini, you thought, there's something special here like we've captured it it's been like when we went and got toby who was on loan at southampton and he would like you go there's something you can't capture there and that's special and there's is a combination of multiple factors whereas there's there's a a safe you roll three with scott parker or you can go i'm gonna re-roll the dice and that's what i want yeah i would like to say as well that i think that mason has handled it brilliantly in the last week like I've loved hearing him. Twenty nine years yeah. old. I think he's been he's been incredible, hasn't he? It's like I was wondering about whether they did some sort of emergency media training or whatever, or just actually because he's he just his lines are spot on and he's got you know and and but you can see that some of it is how he feels and you know like straight after the game I I listened to him on the radio because got in my car quite quickly because there were very few people there, mm. um, and he was like you know how did you feel and he just said it's feel it's pain. And you know what? That's the pain we all felt. And you could see that he felt it as well from, on a personal and a professional level, which I thought was excellent. But right. just very quickly, the betting in the last hour on Ten Hag has changed from 16 to 1 to 3 to 1. Mm. So I hope that's actually because people know something rather than, you know, because mm. Nagelsmann was the favourite last Maybe week. Trippier sending texts out again. <laughs> <laughs> but, um,. Yeah, and it's a massive contrast to what we had seen. Imagine Mourinho was there and we'd lost one there. you go, well, you know, I know who did perform, who didn't perform for me. I'm not going to tell you. It's my secret. I might tell you later. And you just go, oh, it was bad, wasn't it? It was quite toxic. Well, I've, anyway. I've just really enjoyed listening to him speak. Like, it just, it's felt like, you know, he's not going to be able to change anything in a week tactically. Like, he's just not. But it just has felt like there's more of a togetherness. Like, mm. you know, and the only thing I've got to go off is his press conference. But it seemed positive. And like, that's thing. even if behind the scenes, it's not like as fans. The last thing you want, and this was, you know, the, the, the issue, one of the issues with Joe's is you don't want to sit and listen to negative press conferences. Like, you want a manager that even, I'd much rather watch a press conference and be like, oh, he's, He's, he's give us the a classic answer there, like he's hiding something clip. But like you don't want your manager digging your players out. Like it just doesn't work anymore. And it's like I just I think Mason's been brilliant, and it's like I've loved hearing him talk. Um, he's been so level-headed. I don't know how he's done that. Like 29 Spurs fan. Amazing. Like how has he been so calm? Like I don't know. But it, it, I think he's just I've been so impressed with him, and I really hope that the last sort of five games, how many games we've got left, 
we go on a decent run just for him, just so he when he goes back to whatever he's doing, coaching or 23s, whatever, he can say, you know, when I was in charge, we, you know, the boys you know, pulled together, did a good job. That would be great for him. Well, you you said you didn't see the Southampton game because I think one of the things was was that when we scored in that game, there was a feeling of togetherness mm. that we haven't seen for a very long time, just in terms of how the players reacted. You mm. know, so there's got to be, there's something in that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I just, I got bored while you were talking, Jack. So I was just looking at the uh, <laughs> valuations of players, like that, um, some of the valuations of players are mad. Like, how much do you think, according to transfer market, Bale is worth now? Oh, not a lot. 18 mil. I was about to say 20, 22, yeah. I was going to say. Yeah. But Oria is worth 18 mil, according to this no, as well. He's which... No, he's not. <laughs> he is not. Then, Fernandinho, according to this, is 2.25. I mean, he's 36. Yeah. But then yeah. if you take out Stefan and Stefan, I'm assuming he's German, and Fernandinho, their cheapest player is Walker at 31, but everyone is minimum 45 plus. It's crazy. Anyway. Next game, Sheffield United. Um, I mean, they're down. Like, oh, I mean, cool, that's, you know, that is the game you want, right? It's a team that's been relegated. Worst team for the last 12 months. So it's like, Perfect game for us. <clears throat> back. Top Mate. four, I don't think is on, but it's still on. If you know what I mean, it's like, you know, if we win all five games, you probably get in, but I can't see us winning all five. So what do we think about the Sheffield United game? It should be a routine victory. Oh, three at the back, like Endonvele, Lo Celso, but then do Kane, Bale, Delhi, more just tear them apart. I just let let them free. Just let them do what they've wanted to do all season. I I reckon we could score a ton here. I really do. Just because they'll just feel, I don't know, maybe a bit more relaxed. Like the pressure of the final hanging over them's gone. They need to prove themselves. I I think it could be like a battering, a real battering, or one one nil. (laughs) Give the players the freedom to act instinctively. That's a Ryan Mason quote, and you're absolutely right, ASD. Um. I, I think I'd just agree with ASD, but I think what's also is that there's going to be this social media boycott of the weekend, so we're not going to... You'll have to uh, check everything out on the Spurs website, because I think that's the other thing, as well as posting, like, I'm going to have to... I'm actually going to personally um, remove the apps from my phone, because the scrolling still does the same thing, because the login is noted and all the rest of it, so... WhatsApp as well, Instagram. Yeah, all of it. I'm not on WhatsApp anymore, but the, the this is got, not going to do anything and I, I obviously I, no it's not it's not going to do anything but it's, it's an important symbolic action important symbolic that the whole yeah. of football is doing and yeah, I, you've yeah, never yeah. seen the whole of football do anything like that, that before look at all the look at all the logos that were on the that were on that press release I don't know if you saw it and yeah. that's it's everybody it's clubs players fans governing bodies okay. and all the campaign organizations that's so that collective anger being harnessed and saying, actually, let's provoke discussion and put pressure for, for change. It's just the beginning of something for me. But I, yeah, think, right. I think it's important because, do you know what? I wouldn't be surprised if sponsors are about to get on board as well, because that's the right thing to do. You know, they spend loads of money on whatever their CSR is. And this is a, an easy way to kind of do some of that. So I think it's, it's an important moment, but it will be weird because, you know, we, we don't I think we don't realize. I mean how much we use social media in those contexts. And I mean, I use it for other things, but a lot of it's for football. So. Yeah. 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 yeah it's, it, yeah. it's an, it's a real interesting one and it, it, it has to change. I think you tweeted it. Like imagine everyone felt as strongly about racism as they did about the ESL. Like, and that, 
that that's where we need to get to. The problem is, is racism doesn't cost anyone money, or stopping racism doesn't cost anyone money until sponsors start pulling out. Yeah. That that's when it that's where it has to happen. That's I heard. Where it, yeah, I heard someone today saying, yeah, but football can deal with the ESL because the ESL was football, whereas racism is societal, which I understand. But my response to that was, well, football is societal. Yeah, but yeah, football is yeah exactly that. But also, a lot of people say that football is a mirror to society. But actually, we also talk about it being a leader, and that's why you have community that clubs that do work do work in their community, and we understand the power of football to bring people together and and all those other things, which is exactly why you use football as a tool for this. So I wasn't buying that argument. I just always thought that football is almost like an antidote to society, and it's like it's about when people are having tough times, like taking yeah. you out of, of what you're struggling with and like bringing people together and like showing you that it could be different. Like that's why so many yeah. people have struggled in the last year because sport's been taken away. Yeah. I know that this is a podcast so you can't see both the boys' faces, but as I was saying that, they both... Oh, we're men, actually. Me. Sorry. Yes. <laughs> I've been waiting years for that one. I've been waiting years for that. Um, as I said it as well, I was like, oh man, <laughs> I should have said guys. Oh, just for context the first time this came on the show i said we had two ladies in and you said we are women actually i've been waiting years for this <laughs> don't chris don't worry I'll, I'll edit that bit out so it never happens <laughs> so there you go so so yeah so both asd and jack were frowning quite a lot at the thought of that but uh yeah it was, it was yeah it, football is a connector that, that's what it is and it, it connect is part of one of society's great connections and the idea that it cannot have well if if it didn't if it didn't make a difference people wouldn't be being racist on social media it wouldn't piss people off when people are taking any if it didn't matter that wouldn't happen it does matter so it, it has to happen it's not difficult yeah yes I well, i've got a quiz sorry let's do it so uh, I have got all the players who we signed for reported 10 million or more. We're going to go down the list. I will give you team and how much Okay. to make it easier for you. And it gets difficult quickly. Okay. There are going to be some horrendous names on this list. Yeah. A lot of them. <laughs> I've even got the year if you want. Okay. So, uh, Jack. Our most expensive player, so we signed from Lyon in 2019 for £53.8 million. And Dombele. And Dombele. Chris, Ajax, 2017, £40 million. <laughs> I pulled that exact face when I was doing this. Hang on, who's that from Ajax for £40 million? Yeah, you, you'll, you'll kick yourself as soon as you get it. Davinson. Davinson Sanchez. Davinson. Yeah. Jeez, okay, yeah. You just can't you can't think logically that Davinson Sanchez and 40 million fits in the same sentence, can you? Expensive player of all time. Uh for context, City had one two players that they signed for less than that. <laughs> it started. In the whole squad, yeah. Yeah. Uh Jack Newcastle, thirty million twenty sixteen. Sissoko. Real Betis in 2020 for 27.2, Chris. That was the Celso? It was the Celso. Yeah. That was a loan that we turned permanent as well, wasn't it? 
Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. Jack. PSV Eindhoven, 27 million last year. Stephen Bergwijn. Oof. Uh, last year, Serge... Bollocks. 27 <laughs> million. Serge Aurier. <laughs> Sergio Ramos. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, Jack, Valencia, 2013, 26 million. I can't believe that. This oh, is... God, oh, my God. That's I was number... so excited for that signing. Gunslinger. Uh, Roma 2013, 25.7, Chris. Roma? Yeah. Cried when he left, didn't he? He's still at the club. With us, yeah. Oh, Lamella. It's <laughs> incredible, isn't it? It's, I can't believe he's been with us for eight years. Crazy, isn't it? And there's that rumour, isn't there, that he's meant the women to pay Roma a bit more when he scores 30 league goals in total in his career with us, and he hasn't hit it yet. <laughs> Safe money. Levy's going, all right, make <laughs> it 25. Uh, Jack Fulham, 2019 to 25 million. Oh, Sessignon. Sessignon. Uh, Chris, 23 million, PSG in 2017. 23 million from PSG. Yeah. We've talked about him today. Still at the club. What's so? Uh, it's Aurier, isn't it? It's Aurier. Yeah. Uh, Jack, PSG 2018 for 23 million. Uh, Lucas Mora. Yeah. Uh, 2015 from Bayer Leverkusen, Chris, for 22 million. And he tore up the German league. There's one team you always scored against. You always scored against um, Dortmund. Oh, Bayer Leverkusen was sunny, of course. It was sunny. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> this it's is a brilliant six one. Six years? Has it been really six years of sunny? That's mad. Yeah. <laughs> 13th most expensive player of all time. We signed in 2008 from Blackburn Rovers, Jack. Not <laughs> David Bentley. It, <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> oh, God. God. That is brilliant. Uh, next one. For the volley. Anything else? Was there anything else? No. Uh, Pouring that um, water yeah, on Harry Redknapp. Yeah. Yeah. His pants, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Uh, AZ Alkmaar in 2016. Oh, no. 17 million. Think just a failure. One of our worst ever signings, oh, really. Vinnie Janssen. Vinnie Janssen. Uh, Jack Corinthians, 2013 for 16.95. Michael Buble. I always thought he looked like Michael Buble. Vincent Janssen. Yeah. <laughs> We're better off. We would have been better off with Michael Buble. Yeah, absolutely. Um, from Corinthians. Was that, was that Polinio? It was indeed. Uh, Chris, Dinamo Zagreb in 2008 for 16.5. Uh, that must be um, uh, Luca uh, Modric. Oh, yeah. What a dream love Luca Modric. I love oh. Luca Modric. Uh, Jack Charlton Athletic 2007. Darren Bent. Darren Bent, DB. The amazing thing about Darren Bent is it feels like he barely ever played for us, but he was like top scorer a couple of times for us in seasons, but he'd mm. never start games. He's like the best striker ever at scoring the fourth goal in a 4-1 win. Like that's Darren Bent, isn't it? Off the bench last 10 just to score one. It doesn't make any difference. That was him. 
think he was the first player I saw score for Spurs live in a 2-1 loss at Villa. Uh, who's next? Chris, Liverpool, 2009, 16 million. Oh, was that Peter Crouch? No. Hang on, OK. Now, Crouch, he was much earlier than that, wasn't he? Who'd we sign from Liverpool then? Oh, Robbie Keane. Robbie Keane. Robbie Keane. Uh, 15.1 million, Jack. Wolverhampton Wanderers, 2020. Oh, we talked about him earlier as well, didn't we? Yeah. yeah. And then we've also talked about from Southampton for 15 million in 2020, Chris. From Southampton? Yeah. In 2020? Yeah. Oh, Pierre-Emile. You got it. Uh, 15 million from Fulham, Jack, in 2012. You love him. 15 million from Fulham in 2012. Scored on his debut. Oh, Dembele. What a player. I love what him too. Player. I like you that he held on to the ball too long and made himself look better than that and actually could have been better. I just saying. Did I tell you when we spoke to Eric Dyer and Pierre Emile Hoybier, we asked them who their favourite player is they've ever, ever ever played with. And they Everyone both says it. They and yeah, and they and he and Eric Dyer said Musa Dembele and I and I said I once heard him described as a tank with the feet of a ballerina and he said that was perfect. Mm. I, I heard that uh, we said it on the pod before, but, but his when he grew up, they didn't have football pitches, but they had basketball hoops, and so to score, you had to roll the ball against the bottom of the post, and so it was all about close control, and that's all it was, and so that's why he was the way it was, which I always thought was interesting. Uh, who's next? Who did Musa Dembele? I Jack, you did that. Back, yeah. uh, Portsmouth, two thousand and nine, fifteen million, Chris. Was that Jermaine Defoe? What a player he was as well. Yeah. Just goals. I still think I've seen him score more goals for Spurs than anyone else, even with Kane. Quality centre forward to foe. Good goals. That's yeah. all he did. Uh, Spartak Moscow, 2008 for 14 million. Oh, is it Pav? Yeah. Roman, Roman, Right, tricky one, Chris. Wigan Athletic, 2009 for 12 million. Wigan? Mm. I think we talked about him last week, maybe. Tough tackling midfielder. Mm. Honduran. Oh! Yeah. Wilson, Wilson. Wilson. Uh, Jack Leon, 2012 for 12 million. Is that Hugo? Hugo. Double save against Southampton as well, by the way. I mean, that's a good 12 million quid spent, isn't it? 2012, we've got he's been with us nine, be 10 years next year. Wow. Right. Wow. World Cup winning captain. Unbelievable. Uh, Swansea 2017 for 12 million. Who's that? Scored a very, very important goal for us in the Champions League. And oh, Fernando Llorente. I didn't. Oh, Jack always liked him. Jack's gone. <laughs> you up? You, you disappeared. Would you say Jack? Uh, I was just going to say I didn't. I didn't mind Llorente. I thought he was a pretty good second choice striker. He did what he, did what he said on the tin. Yeah. Uh, Atletico Madrid, twenty fifteen, eleven point five. I mean, oh, that's, to- that's Toby, isn't it? Yeah. Mm. Uh, Ajax 2013, 11.5. Was that Christian Eriksen? I 
mean, yeah, for twenty three million. Great buy. Yeah. That is brilliant buy. Like, he was a I, I love He's Derek who Rivers. we miss. He's who we yeah. miss now. There's that the Massive. midfield is missing a, him or a player like him for sure. Oh. Delhi's come back. Hopefully, I, he's never going to be Christian Eriksen. But no, what I loved Christian Eriksen like deeply from when he was at Ajax, and then I, I couldn't believe it when he signed him. And then was one of the first games against West Brom, I think, and he scored that free kick, or maybe his first goal was against West Brom. Oh, I loved that boy. Uh, right, it's going to get difficult now. Two thousand Dinamo Kiev, eleven million. Come on, so you know this Rebrov. is. Yeah. Oh, it's got to be uh, Rebrov for that. You can tell when people like peaked in their support. Like Chris, you, there's some eras where you struggled. Whereas like if you did ten to sixteen for me, I'd be on it straight away. Uh, Mar- who's whoever's next? Marseille, twenty sixteen for eleven million. That's yeah. Twenty sixteen Marseille. Marseille. Very oh, forgettable. No. Oh God, it's what's his face, isn't it? GK. George, GK Kevin, and Kudu. Yeah. God, he, right. he was really bad. He was bad. <laughs> Just a bad footballer. I'll have a look where he is in a minute. Uh, next Are you digging G next? Who's <laughs> uh, <laughs> next? The next one, Swansea City 2020. Uh, uh, Joe Rogan. Joe Rogan. Next one, Southampton 2016 for 11 million. 2016 Southampton? Mm-hmm. Big Vic. Big Vic, indeed. I like Big Vic. I still love that. I still love that plate of spaghetti he once tweeted. <laughs> yeah. uh, Leverkusen, 2006 for 10.9 million. Dimitar Berbatov. That's, I mean, that's a good 10.9 million as well, what isn't it? What a player he was. That was yeah. just like pure... Yeah. Natural ability, I loved it. The assist he did against West Ham for United when he played for United uh, for Ronaldo, watch it because the assist is better than the goal. It's one of those. Guys. It's like when Beckham did the assist for Zidane. That's an unbelievable assist and finish. To be fair, but you can hear the crowd just gasp when um, when he does his. It's he does like a. a just watch it. Is it's, it's the most amazing one. Uh, Ajax twenty twelve for ten million. Is that for Tongan? Yeah, and that's oh, what a signing. Ten million, and considering he was always in the, he was always like the most, the highest appearances, right? He he, he always has played the most games, and he was a brilliant defender. Scored I was goals. always surprised that like a real elite team never came in for Tongan because it's like. You never get, like, as a left-footed centre-half as well. Like, I might sound stupid, you don't often get that many great left-sided centre-halves. Like, he was just, he, he could have played any, he really could have played anywhere. I'm it's surprised crazy. that one of the real big teams never came in for him. I always felt like Alderweireld was a slightly better version of him. There was always a bit of clumsiness with the Tongan. I don't know what it was. There was always something. It's not like Oreo where there's a definite mistake. There was always a chance of it with Alderweireld, just a little bit, you know? I always thought with Vertonghen that he struggled against a big centre-forward. Like, uh, Chris Wood or an Ashley Barnes would cause him more problems than an Aguero would. Like, mm. I always felt that he looked uncomfortable against a, a six-foot-four striker, but, I mean, he'd be a brilliant, absolutely oh, yeah. brilliant centre-half. One of my favourite Spurs players ever. Last three now, Southampton, 2007, 10 million. This might have been our best buy ever. 2007. I yeah. I, I've got no concept of whether you're being sarcastic or no, not. No, no, no. 
Best oh, Buy. Gareth Bale. Gareth Bale. Yeah, 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 yeah. 10 million. Did what he did for us. Then we got 100 million for him. Like, yeah. <laughs> it doesn't get better than that. I remember when I went to uni, there was a like an old retro sort of junk shop uh, down a big hill in Exeter. And used to go chat, chat, flirt with a woman a little bit. And she sold me a leopard skin rug for £25 and put it on eBay. Got 250 quid for it that night. Amazing profit. That's exactly the same. 10 million, 100 million, 25 quid, 250 quid. Mm. Uh, last two, PSV Eindhoven 2008, 10 million. PSV 2008. You are the love of my life. Oh, Aurelio Gomez. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my word. We signed him purely because he was unreal penalty saves against us. Is the against only us. reason we signed him. And the last one, Leeds United, 2019 for £10 million. Oh, um, what's he called? The yeah. little, little... Jack Clark. Yeah, Jack Clark. That's Hasn't it. done it yet. I still, I'm not, I'm not there yet with him, but he's just, he's young, isn't he? He's, he's really young. Yeah. So oh, that's great Copied it from Sporkle. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I did My, um... I, I'm filing for divorce because Emma invited our neighbours round for to meet them. And you know, I, I've got enough friends. I don't need to meet people, lovely people, but I don't need to meet new people and to bring their daughter around. Uh, at, and they arrived at kickoff uh, oh, on the final wow. day. I know. And the first, one of the first things he said was, oh, you know, I'm not really a football manager. I was a bit like, oh. so uh, that was a thing. The other thing was her name was Dawn. And I was just like, don't make any like, office jokes. Don't make any office jokes. <laughs> Every bloke in the oh, office. No. Nope. The office of it. <laughs> yeah. You should have pulled, uh, pulled her aside gone, Dawn, I'm firing you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. <laughs> if you steal a thousand post-it notes at 1p, you, you've made a profit. <laughs> oh, I love it. So funny. Um, that's like well look it's a it makes it so much easier chatting to you two the, the day after losing the cup final so uh i absolutely love this on a monday it's brilliant and uh hopefully when we i've when we got a bit of aob before you go oh, before please you do. Do your thing, because i want this to be the only spurs podcast this week that talks about this topic which is today is lesbian visibility day and it's actually lesbian visibility week um it's only the second year of Lesbian Visibility Week, um, and it's something that um, Diva Magazine, um, Linda Riley, who's the um, publisher, has kind of put together. And there's loads of events going on, so check out their website. They've got a Twitter as well. And it's because the L in LGBTQI plus is often the invisible letter. So it's all about bring, celebrating and bringing together lesbian, bi, trans, queer women across the UK to be their true selves at work, at home and socially so there's loads of stuff going on and um, you know diva did some research and three in four lgbtqi plus women and non-binary people so 77 percent experience worse mental health due to the pandemic which is a big deal so bringing people bringing you know women together is really important and a lovely tie into the to, to some of the things we've talked about today wembley today is flying the lesbian flag and it's just a shame it wasn't flying the spurs flag yesterday um, so Practically, as an ally, what what can I do this week for the lesbians out there? Yeah, that... I mean, I think the nice thing is to like amplify some stories and just say, you know, it's you know, it's cool that it's Lesbian Visibility Week. I tweeted a little thread earlier. You're my ally, ASD. Feel free oh, to to amplify that. Yeah, um, 
it talks and it's and it is actually about football and about being a visible lesbian in football. So, um, All right. and I just think the fact that you're talking about it is really important because right. obviously, like, that's what you want is because you're the, the circles. I don't know what he's doing. What's he doing? I'm looking. My rainbow laces are in this box. You're literally there. rooting about, aren't you? Yeah, yeah. My uh, my rainbow laces are down there somewhere. I'm a, I'm a, I've all a massive ally. Like we we've always been an, an ally. Absolutely, and so and that's the thing. And like in terms of what your what your reach is and the things that you talk about, um, then yeah, by all means, you know, talk about it. So that's brilliant. Thank you. Yeah, that's great, Chris. Thank you so much for that. Um, and let's hope when we're podding next week, we've got a positive result to talk about. Eh? that'd be nice. Um, mm. But thank you for everybody for listening. ASD, Chris, it's a pleasure as always chatting to you both. You and uh, until next week, remember whatever happens, future's bright and the future's lily white. Come on, you Spurs. I always thought there was very, very many people interested in football, and I always thought that football was a very important game, but I never realized until today just how important it is. Whether the Wonder Boys of White Hart Lane are or are not the team of the century can't possibly be more than a matter of opinion. Well, they're the finest team in Great Britain and one of the best in the world. We are about the glory of the game. We are about playing with style. We are Tottenham Hotspur. The curve of the ball, the billow of the net, the beating of the trap and the picking of the lock, the swiftness of thought, the lightness of touch. We are Ginola, Greaves, Klinsman. We are the collective gasp, the intake of breath, the flick, the trick, the 30-yard free kick. We are Hoddle, Mabbott and King. We are the lob, the chip, the dummy and the volley. We are the hat trick, the scissor kick. We are Bill Nick. That is schoolboy's own stuff. We are the outside of the boot, the inside of the net, and those seconds that last forever. Van der Vaart to level it up. Raphael van der Vaart, 2-2! It's quite a game, isn't it always? We are Jennings, Defoe and Perryman. Glory past, glory future. What was, what is, what's next? We are Blanchflower, Ardelis and Bale. We are about winning with a flourish. We are about winning with style. We are about the glory of the game. Daring to try, daring to risk, daring to dream. To dare is to do.